So this morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law hath but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that continually are offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according, according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witnesses to, uh, witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them in their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mighty word. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we pray for this message today that Pastor Tommy is about to share. Open our hearts and our minds to receive it. May the Holy Spirit speak to us and let us be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is great to see you guys here this morning. I hope you guys are excited as we continue to work through our series entitled Draw Near. It's a study in the book of Hebrews, and as we've been saying throughout the series, it, it is a message that is written to Jewish converts. It's written to Jewish converts who have understood and who have practiced this, 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 the, religual, the religious rituals of their Jewish faith um, throughout their lives. And they've connected for centuries to these practices. The author of Hebrews has been saying to them, it's not about the rituals. It's not about the practices. He's been saying to them throughout, he's saying, all of these that we see in the Old Covenant, we see of the old practices, we see of the tabernacle and the sacrifices, it's always been pointing to Jesus and fulfilled in Jesus. 
So don't go to that. Don't lean on that. Don't run back to that. But find the completion of it all in Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, the message there is to these converted Jews. But as we've been walking through it, what we discover is the message is really to each one of us today. As we begin to understand the, the depth, as we begin to understand the, the, um, the, the detail that God has, has, has unfolded throughout the centuries, we begin to understand a deepening of our own faith, a deepening of our own understanding of what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, we come to this morning's text, and, and the starting point for our discussion this morning is the ending point of the text that was just read. And this is extremely important and is a reiteration of what we talked about just two chapters ago. When you hear and read verse 16 through 18, you see this. This is the covenant I will make with them after those, those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is what we, what we read and talked about just a couple chapters ago. And it is a quote from the prophet Zechariah. One of the reasons why this is so important, and this is, this is being um, reiterated, is it is so informative. And it is informative, we talked about the last, last, last a couple weeks ago, because what it does is it reveals to us the forever plan of God. That God has always had this plan. That going all the way back to the Old Testament, going all the way back to, to a declaration about the Old Covenant, he was saying, guys, I want you to know there is a new way coming. There is a new plan that I am devising. And the plan is ultimately about dealing with our sin. The last statement I made as I read that passage is this. It's, it said that he, will, that, that he will forever forgive our sins. That, that, he will, that he will forget our sins. You see that from the very beginning, Jesus Christ has had a plan to deal with the sin of man, to reconcile us to himself. That's why this is so important for us to understand and why the, why the author of Hebrews keeps coming back to that. All that has been going on has been to deal with what has separated us from God. God has always wanted an intimate relationship with his people. He's always wanted us to be able to draw near to him. The plan has always been about the eradication of that which separates us from him. This is what God wants. And this is what God has been working towards for the centuries and centuries and centuries we see recorded in the Bible. Now, as I say, um, this quote is important as it's drawn from the Old Covenant, as it's drawn from the Old Testament, as it's drawn from the prophetic words that we see in Zechariah. But there is this newly introduced message of old, or the prophetic words of the Old Testament that is identified as speaking not simply about the time it was declared, not simply about the one who writes the words, but also as a reflection of the promise that is to come. As we've read the text this morning, we see the author of Hebrews not just quoting from Zechariah, but quoting from Psalms, quoting from David in Psalms chapter 40. And I want you to look at the application that the author of Hebrews makes from the Old Testament here, specifically from the psalmist David. It's found in verses 5 through 7, 
and then reiterated in verses 8 through 9. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's talking here about the, the establishment of the, New, the Old, New Testament and replacement of the Old Testament. As we said, as, as these words are being written, he's saying what was is gone, what is now is now established. These, these, these words reiterate that the sacrifices of old were never sufficient. That there was something that was going to come to replace them. That they would never ultimately satisfy the issue. They would never deal with the sin of the people. And so something was going to come to replace it. His ultimate desire, as it's unfolded in these words is to have a relationship, not, not commanded, not, not of right and wrong, not of law, not of relation, not, not, but, of, but of a relational, willing obedience. He looked at it and he says, listen, I don't want all of these sacrifices. I don't want, I don't want you to feel as though the law is, is being laid upon you, and so there's this obligation of you to do these things. So he sent Jesus Christ who became the the willing sacrifice for the sins of mankind to create that pathway for mankind to live in obedience. That that Christ's work as propitiation, as replacement for the sacrifice of ourselves and the sacrifice of goats and sheep would become the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But what is interesting when you look at this passage is that that it isn't the totality of what is being conveyed in this message. As I said, you you read this, and what you see is that message being explained, that that he says, Jesus Christ said that that you didn't want sacrifices, that you didn't didn't want the burnt offering sacrifice, you you didn't want the sin of atonement sacrifices. And so I have come, and I have become the willing sacrifice. But the interesting thing about this passage is the author of Hebrews said when Jesus came into the world, he said that, that he said sacrifices and offering you you have not desired. And when you read that, as it's recorded by by the author of Hebrews, you get the impression that, that these are words of application simply for Jesus, that Jesus said these words. Now, when you hear that, isn't that what you think? That Jesus said these words? But you know what? He didn't. He never said these words. The the author of Hebrews is actually quoting David. He's not quoting Jesus. He's expressing David's writing in Psalms 40, and what he's doing is he's revealing to us that that it is a messianic prophetic statement. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. 
is what David writes in Psalms 40. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is is within my heart. Now, I want you to follow me on this because I want to bring you through um, a, a kind of a long journey. It's a, it's a, it's a long conversation that, that expands over, over centuries. It, Hebrews 10 is revealing that David's words in Psalms 40 explains how God's ultimate plan for humanity involved the obedient use of a specially prepared body, that of Jesus Christ. And this reflects what we talked about earlier and we've been talking about throughout this series, that Jesus Christ was going to be the one who comes to become the, the, the ultimate fulfillment, the, the, the great sacrifice for our sins. That this has always been God's plan. But David, in this passage, isn't just talking about Jesus. He is revealing something about himself and ultimately saying something about us, about us as mankind, as we relate to God. Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying. Uh, we have already established that David's words were intended to be prophetic. But it doesn't change the word's meaning in its contemporary context. An examination of that contemporary context gives us insight into our understanding of our, spirit, our current spiritual context. What I mean is this, David was, was writing those words about himself as he reflected on his life and about humanity in relation to God. As he writes this, the, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to speak of a, of a future event. But David is speaking about his relationship to God and man's relationship to God. He is saying God does not delight in sacrifice and offering. Burnt offering and sin offering, you don't require. Now, when David makes that declaration, he covers the gambit of offerings. Uh, The sacrifice covers offerings made with blood. Offering represents offerings made without blood. Burnt offerings were offered for total consecration. And sin offerings were offerings to atone for our sin. We talked about this last week, the the day of atonement, when they would come once a year and they would offer these sacrifices for their sins. So David, in his declaration, is saying, all of these sacrifices, all of these offerings, all of these things that we've been doing, you, God, do not delight in. He is declaring that, that, God, this isn't what you delight in. This isn't what... You require, in fact, he says. Now that's interesting, isn't it? David is saying you do not delight and you do not require these sacrifices. Well, why are they doing the sacrifices? They're doing them because God wrote this into the law. He's the one who said they needed to be done. So what is David saying? Why does David say you don't delight in these sacrifices? Why is David saying you don't require these sacrifices when they're in the law written by God for them to do it? 
He's saying, you don't delight in these offerings. So what does David present to God instead? I delight to do your will. Your law is written in my heart. What David is declaring about God's desire for us and what represents our right relationship with him is that we don't use the law to cover our sin. We simply submit, we obey, we love, we follow, we desire God. God wants that relationship. David is saying, listen, there are these sacrifices to be made. These are these sacrifices that have been set up. But ultimately, God, you don't delight in us doing these things. What you want is me. You want my heart. You want my willing, my willing devotion to you, my love for you, my relationship with you. And this becomes even more insightful because David's declaration here is written in direct contrast to his predecessor as king, Saul. Now, some of you guys may remember Saul. Some of you guys may, may know the story of Saul. Saul was the very first king of Israel. And Saul was established as king by God for the Israelites, kind of against his will, kind of against what he wanted. The people kept going to the prophets of God and saying, we want a king like the other nations. We want a king like the other nations. And God was saying, listen, I'm to be your king. I, I, they don't need a king. I'm to be their king. But because of the hardness of their heart, I will allow it. And so he chose from them this, this mighty man, this guy, who was, this guy who had this shyness to him, but this guy who was, who was tall and strong and, and, and actually had a close relationship with God. And he established him as king. And one of the problems that God had with the establishment of the kings was that, that ultimately what would happen is these kings would become, would, would, would the, the pride and, and, and the, author, the, the position of their authority would ultimately corrupt them and he would turn their, their people, his people into their, his slaves and misuse them and, and it would be about them. He didn't want humanity to be the ones that ruled over his people. He wanted him to be. But he gave him that king. And ultimately, that's the path Saul went down. And Saul, over time, began to drift away from God. And, and at one point, he goes into battle, and God instructs him to not take any of the spoils of war. Don't take any of the wealth. Don't take any of the livestock. And yet he does. And this is the exchange between Saul and the prophet of God, Samuel. He says this, the, the, prophet of, the, the prophet of God comes to, San, comes to Saul, and he, and he brings the message of, uh, of God to him. And this is what he says. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what it was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I have devo devoted the Amalekites Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the best of things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord our God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen, the fat of rams. What is ultimately God's point of rejection here? What is this rebuke really about? See, God isn't interested in acts that cover sin. He's interested in people not needing their sin covered because they are obediently pursuing him. He's not interested in acts of religiosity. He's interested in people whose hearts and minds are for him. And David is saying, God, I understand that you didn't institute these rituals as a replacement for, as a substitute for following you. It's why you don't really delight in that. What you want is a people who follow after you. You want those who delight to do your will. People who have their law written on their hearts. This has been a part of God's heart from the very beginning. And and, and we need to understand that, that this is still a part of our walk with Christ. This is why religiosity is not Christianity. David makes a statement in in Psalms 40 that God himself declares in Jeremiah 34 that the author of Hebrews quotes in Hebrews 8. David says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is written within my heart. He says, God, I know your delight is not my sacrifice, not my offerings, not even my burnt offerings or my sin offerings. I know it's not about doing things to cover my rebellion, but that your desire is that I do your will. And so God, understand this. Your law is written on my heart. This is what God says in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And because of that, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that entire section is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. And this represents the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And included in that is, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's not about imposed law. It's about what we understand and who we are in response to him. The common thread throughout the entire Bible is that God was never looking for religious people, and he is still not looking for religious people. He is looking for people who are submitted to him, who love him, who will follow him. This is what sin has always been about. We've talked about this a couple different times throughout the last few weeks. 
Sin isn't about a law of do's and don'ts. It's not about doing this right or doing that wrong. That's not what sin is about at all. Sin is about whether or not God is who you are devoted to or you is who you are devoted to. That your wants, that your wills, that your desires, that your pleasures rule instead of your creator. And and so that's why in each one of our lives there are different things that he calls us to that may not be sin for others, but is sin for us. Because simply what he's asking of us is a devotion to him. God always was pursuing a pure heart, a devoted relationship with his people. And that pursuit, that goal, is what necessitated the framework of the gospel that we live today. And it's a part of the gospel we need to understand today. And the first truth to understand about the gospel to which we are called is this. He never wanted our sacrifice, so he provided one. The redemption of sin requires a sacrifice. We we read it in Hebrews earlier where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption for sin. God, from the beginning, established that the sacrifice revealed a heart of obedience, that it showed a heart of repentance, that it would reveal that his people are devoted to him and him alone. But the heart of man made it about the ritual as opposed to the relationship. And that's because that's what the heart of man is prone to do when it's confronted by God. We look for ways to make ourselves righteous. And in a way, the act of sacrifice replaced the relationship God had been seeking all along. Saul Saul embodied that. Paul was like, you know what, it's fine. I won't do what God says and I'll, I'll give him a sacrifice. And, and, and that's what we tend to do is we look at our lives and we say, what can I do to make myself righteous? This is why we fall into religiosity. This is why we, we begin to count the things that we do and we don't do. And we ask ourselves, well, am I good enough? Have I done enough? It's what the religious people do and it's what the irreligious people do. The irreligious people look at themselves and they say, I'm good enough. Who are you to tell me I'm bad? You understand? That's self-righteousness right there. I do enough to make myself right. And so what we do is we step into this place where we say, what can I do to make myself right? As I say, Saul embodied that, and we today do the exact same thing. God, God wants us to know him first and foremost, to pursue him, to abide in him. But so often what we do is is we make the doing, the sacrifice, the thing. We act as though we do enough, if we work enough, if we prove enough, then we're good enough. This is something many of us fall into. I've often used this illustration as it relates to ministers because I don't know anybody who falls into this trap more often than ministers do. God, look at all I'm doing for you. Look what I've created for you. Look at what I'm doing for you. I'm in your ministry. I, I, I've come across so many different pastors in, the, in this life 
who, who, who point to what they've created, what they've built, and they say, look at my church, look at how many people got saved, look at all the time I put in, look at all the devotion I have. And one of the things that, that I equate it to all the time is one of the things that I experienced early on in, in, in fatherhood was when my kid came home from, from, from church, actually, and he had built me a popsicle stick house for Father's Day. How many of you guys ever got popsicle stick houses when, as parents? They're crappy. Have you ever noticed how crappy they are? The, the, like, the architecture of it is terrible. The, 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 like, like, it's never going to stand up in a storm. So like, just its function is terrible. But even, even the way it looks, it's always gloppy, like, like the glue is like sticking out from between the, the popsicle sticks. They write on it, and it's like it's 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 terrible, right? But your kid always runs up to you and says, "Daddy, Daddy, I've got something for you." And what do you do, as dad? Oh man, that's beautiful. That's incredible. Come here, come here, man. Give me a hug. Climb up on my lap. Tell me how you made this. Tell me what you were doing in this process. And what and and. The kid, what we want more than anything else in that moment is that moment with him. And we know what would disappoint us is when he jumps down off our lap and goes, no, 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 Dad, I want to go build more popsicle stick houses for you. That's what we do quite often as ministers. And that's what we do quite often as Christians. We keep thinking that the doing is the thing. That somehow we're going to create something that impresses God, that makes him love us or accept us more. That God just loves the fact that we want to be with him. He appreciates that. He, he looks at that and sees that as a gift, but it's not the thing. He wants us. And that's his desire, as it's always been. He did the work already. So we don't have to. It wasn't because he wanted our sacrifice, so he provided that sacrifice. This is what we just read in Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By his act, he has sanctified us. He has, he has perfected us for all time. He doesn't want your sacrifice for for. For, because Christ has already made it. Don't keep thinking that there is an earning required to rest in Christ's work. All that's required is that you enter into the relationship. And he has always been calling us to that. He never wanted, a, 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 he never wanted us to, to work towards it. He's never wanted us to have to earn it. He's always wanted us to step into it. And that's why he provided the sacrifice. So we don't have to. And that's really the second truth that we need to embrace about the gospel, which is he never wanted a relationship of obligation, but one of gratitude. So he loved us first. He never desired a sacrifice, so he provided the sacrifice. And he never wanted a relationship of obligation, so he loved us first. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to live for him, not because of fear or obligation, 
but in response to the love that he has already given to us. This is one of the truths about the gospel that so many people lose. Those people outside the church don't understand this, and too many people inside the church don't understand this. I don't follow Jesus. I don't do what Jesus calls me to do. I don't live for Jesus because I have to. I don't do it because I'm afraid of hell. I don't do it because I think I'm earning something. I'm doing it in response to what God has already done for me. I do it because I love him. I don't bring flowers to my wife because I'm afraid that if I don't, she's going to leave me. I do it because I love her. Nobody wants to be in a marriage relationship where the only motivation you have for doing anything nice for one another is because of fear of something bad happening. They want to be in a relationship that says, I'm just doing it because I love you. This is what God calls us to in the gospel. We do things as a reflection of our relationship, not from a position of earning his approval or gaining our salvation, but because we've already been given it. We want to follow him. That's what that's about. Do this in remembrance of me, remembering what I've done for you, because that remembrance will lead you to a place in which you forgive like he forgave, where you'll sacrifice like he sacrificed, where you'll love like he loved, because he first did it for us. When we are received by the Father, when he draws us to himself, we respond and our destiny is written. We become his children. We become his heirs with Jesus Christ. We are given a name and a destiny. The blood of his sacrifice Open the way for us to draw near to God. And there's nothing I can add to it and there's nothing I can subtract from it. Not because we loved him, not because we serve him, not because we earn him, but because he chose us, he knew us, he predestined us, and he loved us. Romans 5 states, God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John in 1 John 4 explains it beautifully when he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live among us, that that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And Ephesians 2 shows the correlation between his first love and are living when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that description there? You are saved not because of your works. But because you are saved, not because of your works, God works in you to do good works. We're not earning anything. We're not obligated in any way. We do it because he loved us. God, from the beginning, was fashioning a way of salvation, a gospel plan and pathway that created a a relationship that produced a devotion written on our hearts. He didn't want one out of obligation or fear 
or even self-service, but one that responds to his love and his grace with a life devoted to him. And that brings us to the final point of gospel framework that is a part of God's plan, which is that he perfectly empowers our obedience because in our strength, our devotion will always be imperfect. The point is this. Under the old covenant, God's people failed. There was an inability to live up to the law, to be perfected by it. This was God's reference in Jeremiah that revealed the need for the new covenant, where he says, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the new covenant I will make. God himself makes the declaration. He says, in their own abilities, in their, in, in their, in their own strength, it was impossible for them. They, they couldn't fulfill it. They didn't fulfill it. And so because of their failure, I am going to create a way in which they will be perfectly empowered to be devoted to me. In fact, if you look back, you realize that the law guided us to Jesus because it revealed it, in it our inability in, in our strength to live up to it. Galatians 3 expresses it by saying, the law has become our tutor and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified. That is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and place in right standing with God by faith. God saw the inability in our humanity to provide the sacrifice and, and live the devotion. So he provided the sacrifice and empowered the living by writing his law on our hearts, by giving us the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most beautiful realities about the new covenant versus the old covenant. In the old covenant, it was required for us to enter into the temple and step into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God. But under the new covenant, we have been made that tabernacle. And the presence of God, the Spirit of God, dwells in us. We become the Holy of Holies, the place where God's very presence dwells. And he does this for a purpose, and he does this with intent to make in us, to provide in us the power to follow him. This entire series is built on that intimacy, on that access provided by God through Christ to draw near to the presence of God. And it happens for us through the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about the work of sanctification in our lives, how daily we are being set free from the power of sin and how that happens not in our strength, but through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, 2 Corinthians 3 says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And see, this is how he empowers us to live our devotion, to put in us the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit comforts, the Holy Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit guides. 
And the Holy Spirit strengthens and the Holy Spirit purifies. It is, it is not insignificant that Jesus Christ says, it was better for me to go that the whole, so that the Holy Spirit might come. Imagine being his disciples and hearing those words. After watching Jesus do the miraculous, Jesus do the incredible, Jesus do that which just was beyond anything they could ever imagine. He looks at them and says, I'm telling you, it's better for you that I go. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he is going to lead you into all truth. And he is going to convict you of your sin. And he is going to guide you. And he is going to strengthen you. Jesus Christ provided for us all that we need to do because he gave us the Holy Spirit to write the devotion on our hearts and to live for him. Christianity is not religiosity. It's not ritual. It's not earning or obligation or striving. It's about embracing the work that Christ has done for you responding to the love revealed by that work and living in response through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in you. This is the gospel. It's always been God's plan. It's always been what he's wanted to have for you. And it's always what he's, what he's wanted to have for himself in relationship to us. And it's what's available to every one of us today. No matter where you're at in your walk, no matter where you're at in your, spiritual, in your spiritual journey, the reality is the plan of God is for you today. Maybe you feel as though your sin has separated you from God, and he says to you today, the sacrifice of my son is enough. Receive it. Be cleansed by it. Have your sin be separated and step into a relationship with me. Some of us today are in this place and our walk as believers and we're struggling to live for him. Go back to the cross, see what he did, and respond to his love. And if you're struggling in that, receive in power the Holy Spirit today. Open your hearts and open your minds to what the Holy Spirit is saying, where he's leading you through his word and through his inspiration. He has given us all that we need. Now let's just live in it. Because it's not just what we desire, but it's what our Father desires from us.